Welcome to the Lionheart Podcast, where we explore the dynamics between health, spirituality, and the natural world. I'm Jenny Madison. Today, I'm speaking with my very special guest, Lauren Lockman. Lauren is the founder and director of the Tanglewood Wellness Center in Costa Rica since 1996. He has studied the relationship between diet and health since 1977 and personally coached more than 12,000 clients back to amazing levels of health. Lauren is a very original thinker and works predominantly with water fasting at his center. He has also authored a system known as Unconditionally Guaranteed Creating Perfect Health and a book called Thriving on a Raw Vegan Diet. Lauren is currently working on an amazingly huge project, the development and creation of an eco-village preserving the natural habitat and creating communities that can come together and live in harmony with the natural world and according to the permacultural principles. I want to start by saying, Lauren, I am so happy to have you here on the show. Actually, I've been wanting to speak to you for quite some time. It's a real pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much. You really focus on optimal health I really feel when I listen to your work and what you share, there's no compromise here. It's like really realizing human potential and vitality. So one yeah. of the first questions I want to ask, it's a, a bit like this, I'm going to start with the end in mind. I want to ask you to describe, <laughs> was it was Stephen Covey, wasn't it? What is optimal health and vitality? What is it exactly? Can you describe that? What does it mean? Absolutely. Sure. Optimal health and vitality is when every day you feel amazing. You feel energetic. You feel clear. Everything works as well as possible. You know, there's no sickness. There's no problems. I mean, we can, of course, get injured, but the body heals quickly. You know, it's interesting because I talk about this a lot, and I think the truth is that many people really can't understand it, not completely, because they've never experienced it. That's why I wanted to ask you that question. I think that because of the way our life's modern lifestyle is and the amount of chemicals that even if we try to stay away from, it's not that easy. We can't really right. do have to work at it. And that's why I ask. I think many people don't know what it truly feels like to be completely healthy. That's true. I mean, I'm absolutely clear about that. Having worked with so many people, more than 12,000 people personally over the last 30 years, we see all the time, even people who think they're healthy, every once in a while, we'll get a client who says, I'm really healthy, but you know, I just wanted to see what this was like. And inevitably, they complete a process with us feeling and functioning better than ever. And so almost everyone is walking around. You know, as you said, I mean, we're surrounded by toxins today. If you're living in a city, even if you choose not to have Wi-Fi in your own office or home, I choose not to. Here we have everything is connected via network cables because Wi-Fi itself is actually harmful. I'm fortunate to live in a place where I have virtually no cell phone signal. So I use this thing for taking pictures. And I, I, when I'm not here, I, you know, when I'm off-site, I have to have it with me so my staff can reach me. But there's no, there's no signal here, and that's fantastic because that, those are toxic energies which are affecting us in very negative ways. And I think most people really don't have any sense of just how much it is. You know, we, we've all grown up. I did too. I'm sure you probably did. 
eating the conventional diet, whatever it is, Brisbane is maybe is a little different than what I ate in Washington, D.C., but we all grew up eating this way. And at some point, we make a choice. Most people never do. But those of us who become more conscious at some point realize that maybe we can do better than that. Mm. Right? But the fact is that even if you're eating optimally, I mean, we see people here all the time who are eating what I believe is an optimal diet, which has served so many of my clients so well, almost everyone who does it. And they come in after 20 or 22 years eating a practically perfect diet often thinking, oh, there's probably not much. And they're, they're blown away by how much garbage is still in the body, how much detoxing they do. Now, these are things that are evident in various ways. It affects how people feel. When someone's going through a, a long fast, and I, I guess we're going to get to the point that we're talking about the fact that I guide people through fasts. Not sure if everyone listening knows that. I know you do, but not everyone does. So our average client is, is here for five weeks, spending 26 days, this is typical, some are shorter, some are longer, 26 days drinking only water. And the water we drink is from our own spring, comes up out of the ground here, we pump it up to the top and then distribute it to all the buildings. And during that time, the body's detoxifying. Now, again, I don't want to skip right over this because I'm sure this sounds crazy to a lot of people, right? You know, a lot of people are going to think you're hurting yourself, you're going to starve to death. Certainly, I mean, I've, I've been told recently I've been working with a celebrity in Chile, and she's been posting on her, I think she's up to nearly 200,000 Instagram followers. And we did a live on her Instagram channel two weeks ago and had so far have almost half a million views wow. in two weeks. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, the response has been every newspaper, radio station, magazine, uh, television channel commenting, usually asking doctors or nutritionists, all of whom are saying, this is crazy, stupid, dangerous. This is why she's probably going to have a heart attack. By the way, she's finished feeling better than ever as a result of this four-week, hers was a four-week process with me. But most people don't understand it. So if it's okay, I think I've kind of hijacked the conversation a little bit, but if it's okay, I'd like, I think maybe we can start by just explaining to people what is happening in the body. Now, why absolutely. is this okay? Yeah. Absolutely. But could I just, I want to touch on one thing, and that is when mm. you make the transition you had been diagnosed with multiple chronic fatigue, systemic candida, 57 allergies I've, I've, right. I read in your bio. And you, you, yeah. you did search in medical system for like three years. And this is perhaps over 30 years ago now that this happened. That's but right. what, really, what really struck me and what I wanted to touch on before we go into fasting, which is absolutely where all the magic happens, I'm sure of it. <laughs> is A lot of it. Yeah. You made that transition from following what they were telling you out there to listening to your own body. You made that really clear that that was kind of, am, am I right there? That was the big shift that happened for you. So I just want to touch on what that means, listening to your own body, because I know that's going to head into the fasting and cleansing process. Well, it's a profound question, and I think it's really important to talk about this because the truth is, I mean, I tell everyone, every client, everyone I work with, when I speak, if I remember to say this, when I'm interviewed, you know, ultimately the goal is to get to the place where we can listen to our own bodies. I like to think of myself as being reasonably intelligent. I'm sure there are many people who think I'm a complete imbecile, but I like to think I'm reasonably intelligent. And yet I promise you, my body is infinitely more intelligent with regard to my body's needs. Mm -hmm. My body knows exactly what it needs all the time. The problem though is, so we want to get to the place where we can listen to the body. 
Unfortunately, not everyone listening right now may be in that place this moment. And I think it's, when I explain this, it's really easy to see why it is. Have you ever smoked cigarettes? I did in my teens, yes. Toxicity plus, I know. (laughs) Yeah. So back when you were still smoking, what did your body tell you it wanted? Do you mean when I... It did, but but the, and also when I, I remember my first cigarettes were horrible, and my body yeah, was yeah. disgusting. This is awful. Please, well, exactly. But I yeah. did, and I guess we do that with food as well, huh? Or something. Well, exactly. Ex- exactly. I mean, that's right. It's it's a great example because had you listened to your body then, right? Your body was really clear. This is a bad idea. Mm. It was probably you were probably hacking. The body was trying to eliminate this toxic particulate matter which you had just taken into your lungs. And your body said, this is garbage. What is this? This is toxic. I don't want this. And so you're trying to get rid of it by coughing. But what happens is you keep on smoking. And eventually your body says, okay, Jenny, you're in charge. If you insist on taking this in, I guess I'm not going to fight you. And it gives up because how much can it do? I mean, ultimately, if you're coughing all the time, you're going to damage your throat, right? So your body says, okay, you want to keep taking this in? You're in charge. I guess that's what we're going to do. The same thing happens with food. It happens with alcohol. You know, if you can remember the first time you tried coffee, especially black coffee, that was delicious, right? Mm -hmm. Did you like it? Did you like it? I mean, most children think it tastes disgusting. And I had to train myself to drink it. The same was true with alcohol. I remember the first time a bunch of us went, we were like 14, got someone to buy us a case of beer. And it was, it was power. It was Heineken and it was powerful stuff. It it tasted terrible to me, but it was the thing to do, right? We're sitting in the woods trying to drink. I was pouring on the ground when my friends weren't looking because it tasted terrible. I don't want to drink this stuff. Mm. But if you keep doing it, your body gets used to it, Mm. right? Mm. So it's true. I mean, we all started out with clean systems, well-functioning, which knew what they wanted and what they didn't want. Mm. Unfortunately, by the time someone has spent, looking at you, I'm guessing 27 or 28 years, you? Oh right? my goodness! Thank you. <laughs> well, I'm tw- I'm 29, so I'm guessing you. You know, by the time someone's been decades on the planet, living, especially if you're living around cities, anywhere in Australia, North America, Europe, it doesn't matter. There's I haven't been to a city that's clean. You're taking in toxins from so many sources. I mean, it's crazy, but they have found some of the most toxic chemicals ever invented in the polar ice caps. Right? They have found. There was a study in North America, probably 20 years ago now, where they looked at for 75 persistent environmental toxins. And these are some of the nastiest chemicals ever invented. What they found, you know, these are pesticides and all kinds of things, polychlorinated biphenyls, PCBs invented to go on, on electrical wire to insulate it, but it turned out to be incredibly toxic stuff. All these chemicals, what they found was that the average person in the study contained 50% of these chemicals in their body in measurable quantities. And these were things, most of which had been outlawed for decades in North America. They have a very long life before they break down. Mm -hmm. And so they're in the water, they're in the soil, they're in the air. These things are everywhere. And so it's, you know, the average person, if if you're still addicted to tobacco, your body's going to tell you to smoke. If you're addicted to alcohol, your body's going to tell you to drink. If you're addicted to bread or sugar or meat, your body's going to tell you to consume those things as well. 
It doesn't mean you should listen to them. So, you know, for me, it's important to, to distinguish that, yes, we want to get to the point where we can listen to our body because our bodies know far better than we do. But we have to get them clean, balanced, hydrated before we can really trust all the messages we're getting from them. Mm. You know, it's interesting. I have, a, I have a woman here now from New Zealand. It's her third time with me. She told me this morning that she's been craving bacon and she ate it once. I'm sorry. Not, it's not this woman from New Zealand. I'm getting confused. It's someone I'm working with online from the U.S. But she told me she was, she was raised as a vegetarian. 20 years ago, she ate meat for a very short period of time. And now she's craving bacon. She's fasting now. She's craving bacon. That's what happens when the stuff is still in your body. These cravings will come up. Once it's gone from your body, there's no such cravings that occur. And, you know, from personal experience, that's what I have found so powerful about fasting because the shifts that occur can potentially be very, very long-lasting. Absolutely. So the old bad habits... Each time I do a fast, I feel like some of those older habits, they're just sort of, they're gone. Like they're no longer fall habits. Away. So fall away. Yeah. Like you described, of the body gets used to something and then exactly. it becomes really rejuvenate, it regenerates. Yeah, no question. Of course, of course, the key, you know, when you talk about having these lasting benefits from fasting, it depends, of course, and maybe this is obvious, but it's probably important enough to say, it depends on what happens after the fast. If you complete the fast and then go back to making the same poor choices you made earlier in your life, you will recreate those same issues. So firstly, I want to say thank you for the age bracket that you put me in because I turn 50 next month. (laughs) (laughs) So a big thank you for that. And what you've said so far really is that in order for us to know what our body truly needs, not what we're habituated or conditioned to think that we need. Exactly where the power of fasting and cleaning the body comes in. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Exactly. And that's how we come come into really listening to our body. And so let's get into this. Look, I do know you've fasted, supervised fast thousands of people. And actually that's what I love about watching your videos is that I actually get the direct experience from the people that are staying with you. So I've watched videos Mm -hmm. where your guests are asking questions and giving feedback and I get to hear, their experiences and sometimes I relate to them you know sometimes like you know what I've had that too and and I get yeah. to hear real-time stories of people's healing journey so I thank right. you for those you're very you're very welcome it's a pleasure. that sharing that sharing on your yeah. YouTube channel is fabulous so let's uh you you touched on before about going into what actually happens in the body I have a couple of questions around fasting what actually happens in the body and the brain because there's a lot that goes on on the two. And I, I don't want to forget this question is, how do we know how long? I mean, you supervise and guide fast. So does it depend on the ailments? And I've also noticed you, deal, you work with people that are healthy and mm-hmm. also people that have chronic illness. I've also right. seen that you've worked with people as young as two, I think. I remembered hearing. Well, that, the, that, that is not something we typically do. But it's okay. true. My youngest client ever... He wasn't really a client. It was a different kind of experience. I mean, he didn't come to me as a client. He happens to be my godson. His parents are some of my best friends on the planet. Flynn was born with a heart defect. He had a leaking valve, a leaking valve. One. And they went in before he was a year old, open heart surgery. And by the time they were done, all the valves leaked. And then they went back in again later on to try to repair it. So he was about two and a half years old. When he got off an airplane, his parents, uh, he lives 
in, in the Netherlands with his parents, and they had flown over to visit. And they got off the plane, and he was sick. He, I mean, he'd been sick most of his life. He was taking drugs every day of his life until then. He, for, for several months when he was born, he had a feeding tube, which went down and up his nose and down his throat. That's very uncomfortable. So he got off the plane with a fever, tons of mucus, you know, a typical flu kind of a situation. And I said to his, his parents, who I had been with just a couple months earlier in Venezuela, and we were there together when his mother mentioned to me that he was one of those kids that would fall asleep in a moving car. So if they were out at night, when they came home, he was asleep. He was supposed to take this diuretic, a drug, three or four times during the day, but she didn't want to wake him up to give it to him. So she told me he always slept better when he didn't take the the medication. And of course, I reminded them that medications are always poisonous. They're toxic substances that the body reacts to in a way that creates symptomatic relief, but they don't make us healthier. They just help with symptoms. And that it might be useful to try fasting him when the opportunity arose. And so two months later, they get off the plane and he's sick. And I said, you know, fasting is exactly what to do under these circumstances. So he fasted for five days. It wasn't a huge thing. He was perfectly fine, by the way. And at the beginning, we didn't think about this. And we would carry him into the kitchen with us. And he didn't understand why he wasn't eating. He didn't really understand the concept. But as long as we kept him out of the kitchen, he never thought about food. Because as you know, you're not hungry when you're fasting. And for anyone listening, most people imagine, well, these people must be hungry for three or four weeks. That must be terrible. They're not. And the reason they're not, of course, is because the body is feeding on the reserves, the fat reserves that we have primarily, which is why we have them. We have these reserves because in nature there are fires and floods and droughts and conditions where sometimes there's no food available. And so while most people, perhaps some of your listeners, imagine that if they skip lunch, they'll probably die, that is not the case. That is not the, I mean, many people, I did a seminar, a webinar on Sunday and in Spanish, and we had a thousand plus people registered for it. And I at, we had a little poll. Now, what's the longest fast you've ever done? 20 minutes uh, between lunch and dinner, overnight, wow. or, you know, one week, etc. <laughs> and you'd be amazed how many people said 20 minutes. Maybe they're just kidding, but a lot of people really don't skip eating ever. And they really don't know that it's possible that you can be okay. But of course you can. So we kept him out of the kitchen. He wound up, it was an interesting thing because he'd been on drugs every day of his life until then. And after the fast, he did not need the diuretic for three or four months. His body was able to keep up with the the work. Now we've never fasted anyone else that young uh, since then. But you've also fasted someone as old as 90-something, is that right? Yeah, yeah. My oldest client so far, so he celebrated his 91st birthday during his 30-day fast. Oh, yeah. And yeah. he came to me with a tumor in his throat. They wanted to do a tracheotomy, punch a hole here so he could breathe and he would have to speak before the machine. Mm. He wasn't really excited about that. And so he talked to me about it and I said, you know, it, it, we've never seen anyone with this particular tumor but we do see success with tumors in many cases. Unless it's a very fast-growing tumor, there's not likely any danger. I mean, it's, you know, if you can wait six weeks, if you're not going to be in danger waiting six weeks, look, the worst case is it's still there. You have to get surgery. But your body will be much healthier. And there's, there's actually been studies where, not with surgery, but they've taken rats. And by the way, I don't mm. – I hate animal studies, animal research. I don't believe we have the right to use animals. Mm. But – 
you know, because these exist, these studies, I talk about them sometimes. So they've taken rats, they've induced cancer, they've given them cancer, mm. and then they've fasted one group and not fasted the other. And the fasted group survived, 100% of them survived chemotherapy. 100% of the non-fasted group died as a result of the treatment. So I said to him, you know, worst case scenario is you'll be in much better shape to undergo any treatment you need to undergo. Mm. But he spent six weeks with us, fasted 30 days, 12 days, the last 12 days is refeeding again, getting the body back because you, you don't complete a 30-day fast and then jump on an airplane. Mm. You have to gently be guided back. And when he got home, his son was waiting. They rushed him to the hospital where they had the surgeon standing by. They couldn't find a tumor. Yeah, oh, wow. The body just knows what to do. So let's get into that now. What happens in the body and the brain? Because that well, is a beautiful story. Mm. We could probably spend hours talking about that, but maybe we'll keep it relatively simple. First of all, the body is looking for fuel. First step, right? I mean, people think that we need food to live on. The truth is we're not operating on food. You and I are talking to each other. We're moving. We're, we're you know, we're, whatever we're doing. Food isn't what's making that happen. Food is the fuel that we use to create the energy. But it's the same as putting gasoline in your car's gas tank. Okay, the gas does not make your car go. It's the movement of the pistons that makes the car go. Now, the, the gasoline is the fuel that allows your car to move the pistons. In the same way, the food is the, is the energy that your body uses to create electricity because we actually run on microelectric current. And so that current is primarily created while we're sleeping. And when we begin fasting, what the body is looking for is more fuel to be able to make more electricity. So in the first 12 hours or so, 8 to 12 hours, your body looks to your digestive tract. Anything you've eaten over that period of time, it's still available, it's still useful. The body can use that to make fuel. And the primary fuel we're looking for is glucose, right? Our bodies are adaptable, and we can run on a second source of fuel, which we'll talk about in a moment. But primarily, they start out looking for glucose. Once we get past about 12 hours, there's really nothing useful, no matter how much may be in there. And some people have a lot of stuff in there. It's not going to be useful anymore. At that point... The body goes to the liver. In the liver, we store glycogen. And glycogen is a glucose precursor. So the, the body is able to convert glycogen into glucose. It's the way we store glucose. And we don't just store it in the liver. We store it also in the muscles. I don't believe the body uses muscle glycogen while fasting. And I'll explain why. Polar bears don't hibernate normally. But when female polar bears are pregnant... They will create a, a little cave, and they'll go in there, they'll go underground, and they'll spend five months there eating and drinking nothing, during which time they birth their cubs. They have two cubs at a time. They birth the cubs, and mama breastfeeds them. They're mammals, so they're drinking her milk, okay? And she's consuming nothing for five months. When she comes out, she's roughly half the size that she was when she went in. Now, the cubs are fine because they've been – consuming the perfect food for their bodies, which is mother, mother's milk, right? And by the way, this is a little bit off the subject, but I hope it's obvious to everyone that polar bear milk isn't perfect for human beings because it was created for polar bears. <laughs> like In the same way yeah. that cow milk 
isn't intended for human beings either. It's intended for cows. Completely different than breast milk, human breast milk, and not something anyone should ever be consuming, unless they want to be sick, because it will get you sick for sure. But anyway, so when they come out of their den after five months in there, the, the babies are fine because they've been fed. And they're going to continue to be fed, but they've got a 75-mile hike ahead of them on average. That's what, hundred and say 110 kilometers roughly, something like that, before they get to food. Before they can eat, they've got to walk about 110 kilometers. Okay? So the body doesn't use muscle glycogen because it needs that muscle glycogen to be able to fuel the muscles when it's time to eat, when the body's ready to move and go find food. It wants to have that available to us. And the same thing happens in our bodies. So muscle glycogen on the, for the average person lasts no more than 8 to 12 hours as well. Uh, excuse me, uh, liver glycogen, 8 to 12 hours. At which point we've depleted the sugar in the body. So what happens next surprises many people. We've been measuring now for 14 years using pretty sophisticated bioimpedance. We've measured more than 5,000 people how the body composition changes. So I've been told multiple times I'm an imbecile because why would the body use muscle before fat? Well, I, I think there's a very good reason why this happens, but I know it happens because we've measured it over and over again. Mm -hmm. So we can see, we can measure people's muscle mass declining. The greatest muscle mass loss happens in the first few days because the body, although the entire body can switch over to running on ketones, eventually does that. And ketones come from metabolizing fat. We don't start out doing that. And there are some organs, including the brain and some other organs, gonads, other things that require sugar, okay, which we're not really getting efficiently from fat. And so the body actually converts muscle to sugar. This process is called gluconeogenesis, which means the creation of new sugar. Okay? But these first couple days, the reason the body doesn't go to fat at all initially or very little is because we're set up to run on sugar. And so when you decide you're going to fast for a week or whatever it might be, and you're, you're in the third, you know, the first day, the second day. Your body doesn't know that you've decided you're gonna, not going to eat for a week or three weeks or a month, whatever it is. All your body knows is that, hey, it's been two days or three days. There's been no fuel coming in. So your body is thinking, okay, well, rather than change fuel sources, rather than go to a whole different source, a whole different process, we'll just keep using glucose. We'll just take a tiny bit of muscle, convert it to sugar, I mean, it's, it's not like you can see your biceps decreasing in size. That doesn't happen. Um, <laughs> you've probably noticed that by the time you're done, you're not really much weaker than when you started. Right? There is some muscle loss, but although we lose some muscle mass, we're also so much more efficient at the end of the fast. And that, this is a fascinating piece. I hope we have time to come back to it. But we're so much more efficient that we rebuild that muscle easily, more easily than ever, in fact. Mm. So the body goes to muscle, it spends on average about two more days or so consuming muscle. And then the body, depending on body composition, the less muscle mass somebody has, the faster the body says, you know, let's start using fat. We have to change systems, but that's a safer long-term source. Now that's been three days since, since our last meal, let's switch over. Someone who has way more muscle mass than they really need is likely to spend more time converting muscle to sugar because their body's less concerned about it. So if you had a big bodybuilder, for instance, they would probably 
consume a little bit more muscle. Mm -hmm. Okay, before the body can switch over. Then we go to fat. And throughout the rest of the fast, the body's going to be running on fat. Again, which is why we have it. We store fat so we can survive in the absence of food. Now, we need a little bit of fat. We need about 2.5%. It's called essential fat, which allows us to survive. Right? Regardless of what's going on, we need to have at least that much for your brain everything else. But the average woman we've measured here over the last 14 years has been somewhere between 30 and 35% fat. And the average guy is somewhere between 20 and 25% fat. And we actually need 2.5% to survive. So all the rest, the body stores as reserves because there are these times in nature where there's nothing to eat. Mm -hmm. We want to be able to survive those times. And so as crazy as this may sound, the average person has a six, eight-week reserve, which means they could fast that long, no trouble, if they knew what they were doing. Now, obviously, someone who's extremely emaciated, whether it's advanced cancer or AIDS, or it's simply an eating disorder, you know, if they're anorexic and they've taken themselves down to nothing, they can't go six weeks and probably shouldn't be fasting at all because in order to fast, your body is consuming reserves. Starving is distinct from fasting because in starving, your body is consuming vital tissue, mm. right? So the primary source of fuel in, in, in starving, starvation, is muscle and organs because there isn't any fat left. Mm. Six to eight weeks. You, you've answered a couple of my questions already about that. <laughs> <laughs> in all of that, a couple of my other questions is like the sort of how long is it possible in your experience for people to fast? As you said, on best case scenario, good case scenario, six to eight weeks. So this process of consuming fat, when the body gets to that place where it's kind of gone through the glycogen, you mentioned that we survive predominantly on glucose. And then we basically transfer into using our fat reserves. Right. This is where healing happens. Elimination, of course, happens. The detoxification happens. But there's more that happens here. Can you go into that a little? Yes, absolutely. In fact, before I, do, before I get there, if I may, let me share that the average person can go six to eight weeks. People, the longest fast on record was 382 days. And this was someone who was enormous. My longest client fast was 18 and a half weeks, four and a half months. Gosh. The man was morbidly obese and he had stage four cancer. And by the end of the fast, there was no trace of cancer. But you, know, you and I aren't going to survive four and a half months without eating. Someone who is, I think he was maybe 5'5", five, five, 250 pounds. Yeah, you can do that, right? I apologize if those numbers, I, I can probably figure that out in metric, but hopefully it makes sense. Well, I think, I think we get the picture. <laughs> that would be someone who is maybe 165 and 110, 115 kilos. Mm. They've got a lot of reserves, right? Because mm. they should be 50 to 60 kilos or somewhere mm. in that range. And instead, they're twice that much. They can go a long time. Mm. But, but let's go back to your question. So the question was, what happens next? Yeah. What happens? No, that the process of healing. So, of ah, course, right. when, when right. we convert from glucose to using fats, there's obviously the fats. Fats are being eaten up in the body and the right. toxins are being eliminated. So there's a healing through the detoxification process, but there's more. There's more that happens. There, there, there is more, yeah. And I think it's important to, to point out that eliminating the fat doesn't necessarily mean the body's detoxifying. Now, when we're fasting... 
if we're fasting properly, right? And when I say properly, let me explain what I mean by that. Because they, I mean, there's some controversy here. There are some people who recommend doing this differently. But everything that I teach in practice is based on my best efforts to understand the laws of nature, which I've been working on understanding since I was 14, okay? And I'm now coming up on 60. So it's been 46 years, 45 plus years I've been working on this question, right? And so it's there. You know, that's, that's what it is. Well, what happens in nature? Have you ever seen a sick cat or dog? They stop eating. They do. And what do they do while they're not eating? They rest. They don't do anything. They, they just lay there, right? That's what virtually every species does. Fasting is nature's way of allowing the organism to cleanse and heal. And, you know, there are people who say, well, that's because they're too weak to get to their food. And when it's your cat or dog, you can stick that bowl right in front of their face and they won't touch it. They instinctively, oh, in fact, I don't know if, you know, perhaps you can recall when you were a little girl, when you were sick, you had a cold or flu, you probably didn't have much appetite. Your body was telling you very clearly not to eat. Unfortunately, if you're like most of us, your mother was telling you you had to eat. Mm -hmm. Right? So you probably ate anyway, even though your body was saying no. And this is what happens anytime there's an acute crisis, an acute symptom, something that comes up quickly, which is what happens for children. Now, it's important to point out, and we'll come back to your question, but when people have chronic diseases, which is where most people are, you know, if you've been eating a standard diet for 49 years or taking medication you know, for decades or drinking a lot of the garbage that you can buy today, whatever it is, smoking, you know, any of these things, your body is becoming more and more toxic and you are developing heart disease and cancer and diabetes and arthritis. And these things aren't an accident and they're not bad luck because of your genetic inheritance. In almost, I mean, there are some genetically inherited diseases, sickle cell anemia, Tay-Sachs disease, cystic fibrosis. Now, there, there are some, Down syndrome. But the vast majority of conditions that, that kill people today are things that we create by the choices that we make. It's not the genes. You know, a woman might inherit a tendency to develop breast cancer. And if she makes the same crummy choices that her mother and grandmother made, she'll probably get breast cancer too. But if she keeps her diet completely clean and gives her body a chance to cleanse, that cancer is never going to develop because there is no, we don't inherit a gene for cancer. Yeah. It doesn't happen that way. Okay. Yeah. So when the body begins breaking down fat, that's where we store most of the toxins in the body. Yeah. And so you're, you're absolutely right that there's an ability to detoxify at a different level once the body moves into this part of the process. But, you know, there are people today who practice dry fasting, fasting where they're not drinking water. And they do this because it's, it's no food, no water. They do this because they believe that it's better. They claim it's three times more powerful. And they say that because the body moves into ketosis the first day instead of the third day, which is the average for, for water fasting. And so they've reasoned that what's well, three times faster it must be three times more powerful, three times more beneficial. That is not a logical conclusion. My own experience, I've done this four times, uh, three times myself for four days because it never made any sense to me. But I consider myself a scientist, which means only that you approach everything from a neutral perspective. Let's get to the truth of the matter. You know, if I discovered that dry fasting is the best thing to do, I'd be offering dry fasting. 
but we don't offer dry fasting. And my experience is that people who dry fast, we, we get people here who have a habit of dry fasting. We have one here now. He's severely dehydrated, severely dehydrated. He's much younger than I am, but has tons of lines on his face. Why does that happen? Those wrinkles are evidence of dehydration, okay? It's the, the skin loses elasticity because it dries out because there's not enough water to manage everything. So what happens is that the critically important systems, like blood, brain, uh, pancreas, thyroid, heart, lungs, liver, kidneys, they get the water they need. But eyes and skin and joints and discs and these things that tend to break down as people age, they're not getting the water. And I believe that much of what happens with aging happens because of long-term chronic dehydration. And we have seen many people reverse these things. Okay. Now I'm guessing, I'm guessing from looking at you that you've managed to stay pretty well hydrated. I drink spring water. <laughs> and That's a very I, good start. And I, I've heard you're talking on spring water and I think we should cover that one too because I, I can't get the message across enough. I also do eat a high raw, if not even fully raw, close to diet. And I've heard you speak about how eating dehydrated food is not optimal either. And um, right. I want to go into those two things, actually. The optimal diet, because there's so right. much, so much confusion and controversy Absolutely. about it. And again, yeah. what I like about what you share is, well, what would nature say? Well, what would nature do? Well, what would you do if you were out in nature? And it, you make That's it right. sound so simple, but truly with habits and conditioning and all these other things that, that enter our psyche and that are in our environment, it's actually, it, it is simple, but it can be a challenge. Hence what we've just been discussing, the importance of cleaning the body. So I'd really like you to go into that about being, how to be well hydrated, because I know you also speak about getting our hydration from food, from fruits and high right, right. water content food and spring water. And also, what is the optimal diet in your experience? Yeah, sure. Let's see if we can handle all those topics. Um, <laughs> for, first of all, it, it actually brings us back to fasting. You know, we see people here all the time who, in fact, the gentleman I mentioned just a moment ago, has been eating a close to optimal diet for at least a couple of years. He's been following me and wanting to get here. And we see people that have been, I think the longest we've seen so far is 25 years living on a high water content diet of fruit and simple leafy greens, simple salads, right? I mean, these not so much dried, not drier fruit like bananas, but more high water content fruit as I primarily consume myself. Here it's, it's watermelon, papayas, pineapples, mangoes. We have seasonal things like rambutan we have now, mango steams we have now. Uh, you know, the very sweet fruits like jackfruit and durian and mame sapote as my, and some of the bananas. We have 16 or 17 varieties here now. As much as I love these things, they're things I don't eat very often. And the reason why is because I don't feel as good if I eat them often because they're not providing the body with this perfect water. Okay, so, but the first step is, what I found so far, and again, we've been measuring thousands of people, I found so far that it's virtually impossible to get fully hydrated until someone fasts long enough to clean the garbage out. And again, this is controversial. Hmm. Doctors are taught there's nothing in there. You know, they'll say, well, we, we do colonoscopies, we look, there's nothing in there. Now, of course, a colonoscopy only looks at the colon. I mean, people, people don't think about this, but it, it's only the colon. And the colon 
is about the same as your height. The length of your colon is roughly the same as your height. So mine's roughly 182 centimeters long, okay? But the small intestine, the ileum, is roughly five times longer or four times longer. That's where that's the majority of the, in the intestinal tract is in the small intestine. And it's one-third the diameter of the large. This is where stuff gets stuck. And so, again, it's, you know, it's, it's a very controversial thing. I was a co-keynote speaker with a man I've known for nearly 30 years, an MD. We both spoke at an event in Tel Aviv back in November, late November, I think. And we, they put us up at the same hotel. They transported us back and forth. We wound up spending three or four free days together hanging out and someone I've known a long time. And he still believes this old material doesn't exist. And I said to him, we used to fast people. We would see people who had fasted with him who would come to us and they would eliminate pounds and pounds of old hard material because the difference in our protocol. But the bottom line is only fasting 21 days or more properly allows the body to eliminate this old stuff. And virtually everybody eliminates pounds and pounds of it until we get rid of that stuff. It's sitting in the intestinal tract like a giant sponge. And so it makes it hard for people to ever get enough water. In fact, have you ever experienced melon belly? Melon belly? No, I'm not sure what that means. Is it like a bloating or something? Exactly. It's a common experience for raw vegans who sit down and have a meal of watermelon. You know, I mean, I I might eat two to three kilos of watermelon at one sitting. And when people do that, I mean, I'll eat once or twice today, but when people do that, most people get a very uncomfortable sensation in their belly. They feel quite bloated. And the reason for that is because watermelon is over 90% water and cucumbers have more water. But I've never eaten two plus kilos of cucumbers at one time. I'm eating a fraction of a kilo of cucumbers at one time, right? If we eat anything with enough water in it, and the same is true with lettuce. I mean, a head of lettuce weighs a lot less than than a kilo, and I don't eat more than one at a time. So if we ate lettuce, which is 96% water, if we ate two or three kilos of lettuce, we'd probably have the same experience. All that excess water. We need about 75% of the water in the food to stay there because stool, bowel movements, are roughly 75% water. Okay. But the, it's the excess. So with cucumbers or, or lettuce, both around 95 96% water, there's about 20 points, quite a bit of water available. You know, if, you're, if you're eating... Two kilos of, the, if you were to eat two kilos of those foods, you would have quite a bit of 400 grams, roughly, of water available. That's a, it's a fairly significant amount. It's, it's less than half a, a liter. But, but, and this is perfect water because the water in our food is structured differently. So in order to get hydrated, a couple things have to happen. We have to get the body clean first. Until we get that stuff out, the body's going to continue to try to rehydrate the stuff, but it's not broken down. It's never going to get hydrated enough, and it's never going to leave. When we fast long enough, we get rid of it, and afterward, it becomes easy to stay hydrated. And so this always surprises people, but we've been measuring hydration levels here now for 14-plus years. And someone just asked me today, he said, when you fast, how much water do you drink? Because my clients here are drinking between four and six liters a day. And when I fast, I typically drink less than one liter per day. And the reason why... Is because I'm already hydrated, and, and I don't have this giant sponge sitting in my intestines soaking up water. So once that stuff is gone, getting hydrated and staying hydrated is as easy as eating optimally. Eating a diet 
that focuses on high water content foods, watermelon, papaya, all, you know, everything that's, that's toward the high. Now, if your system's clean, it's perfectly okay to eat bananas sometimes too. Bananas actually have less water on average than a bowel movement, which means when you have a meal of bananas, you're losing some water, just a tiny amount. But that's nothing compared to what happens for the average person. Because when the average person in Brisbane has lunch, what are they eating? A sandwich of some kind? Probably, yeah. I actually live, I live in Mullaney in the mountain ah. top of the Sunshine Coast. Oh, ah, beautiful. Acres. Okay. So we have just finished mandarins and guava season and we're just about to step into two big trees of mulberries. And where Fantastic. I live is also was once upon a time an avocado farm, but I don't think there's a lot of water in avocado, a lot of fat. <laughs> well, actually, it's interesting when avocados have both water and fat. And the reason that that's the case like a Haas avocados is around 80% water. The reason why it's so high is because so when we say, for instance, not Haas avocados, about 85% fat. What that really means is that the calories in avocado, 85% of them come from fat, but the water doesn't have any calories. So you can have both of those things be true. So yeah, I'm not quite in the city and it's very clean air here, which Perfect. is lovely. We're that on tank beautiful. water and for the you know house, but the, our drinking water is spring water which we get from the bottom of the mountain straight from the spring a bit like what you describe um what is your diet because i mean just sort of touching on what you've spoken about you eat a lot of fresh high water content fruit but i know you don't eat a lot of different kinds of fruits you seem to stick with a certain amount and twice a day i love that i also prefer to eat only two meals a day simple and less frequent to give the body a nice rest yeah well this comes back to the efficiency issue because I talked about this before you know I actually thought about my history and I've I've talked about this I I spoke about this in a book I'm working on now when I was at the U.S. Air Force Academy between the ages of 18 and 20 I was eating upwards of five to six thousand calories a day Mm. and having a hard time maintaining my weight because we were so active high metabolism you know it's hard to keep that that weight and today I'm perhaps not as active as I was when I was an 18-year-old Air Force Academy cadet, but I stay pretty active and I I work a lot. But what I do is between calls, I do a lot of calls with clients. I jump down and do 20 push-ups. I go in the kitchen and do 20 full body dips. And I do these kinds of things. I do them almost every day. So what I'm now consuming an average of probably 1,200 calories a day, a fraction of what I used to consume. And I see this all the time. In fact, I had a professional football player from the UK here a couple of years ago, and he had badly broken his leg. They told him, if you break it again, you might not walk. It might never heal. And so he decided it might be a good time to retire. And he came here to heal, and he fasted for 30 days. So it's a 12-day refeeding process. And he's on about the seventh or eighth day. And he comes to me and he says, I can't believe how good I feel. He's running. We have a giant trampoline. We have a saltwater pool. We have mountain bikes. We have several kilometers of trails on site. We have a beautiful yoga studio. And he is working out like three hours a day. We have exercise bars. He's working out three hours a day. He's feeling fantastic. He's getting strong. He's, you know, he's regenerating these muscles quickly. And he said to me, first of all, I've never felt this good. I can't believe how, how amazing I feel and how strong I am. He said, I'm just curious, how much am I eating? So I went and what he'd eaten the last day, and I came back and said, 
well, you know, yesterday, this was in the morning, I said, yesterday you ate roughly 1,200 calories. And he said, six months ago, when I'm playing professional football, I was eating at least four times that much every day. And here I am feeling stronger than ever, tons of energy, building muscle, eating much less. And that's what happens. That's efficiency. Now, this is a crazy thing because, again, it's a very controversial subject. A lot of people think we want to raise our metabolism, right? But think about this. You have a car? Yes. How many, uh, let's see, kilometers to the liter do you get? Is that how you guys talk about it? Sorry, how many kilometers in the U.S. would be miles to the gallon. But how, do, how do you guys think about fuel efficiency in a car? I don't use my car that often. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's how I keep it efficient, <laughs> as, less, as well, little as you, you know what? It doesn't really matter what the system is. I think people can understand. Let's say you, know, you have a reasonably efficient car. You might get 30 miles to the gallon of gasoline, okay? Something like that. So if we could double that car's metabolism, that would be the same as going from 30 miles to the gallon of gasoline to 15 miles to the gallon of gasoline. We would now need twice as much fuel to do the same amount of work. Why would anybody want to do that? What we want to do is have a level of metabolism where we feel amazing and have tons of energy, but we need less fuel, not more fuel. And that means slowing down the metabolism. Now, I can show you another example from nature. You have hummingbirds where you live? I bet you do. Yes. Aren't they amazing? Bees, honey bees, yeah? Yeah, yeah, Honey bees. No, how about hummingbirds? You have those little tiny birds? Oh, hummingbirds. Yeah. I've met hummingbirds in America, uh, Central, but not here, no. We don't have Yeah, we have have some 35 species here. Mm. The the Mm -hmm. smallest one's the size of a bumblebee. The -hmm. biggest one is uh, is like this. Now, if you think about something you can do quickly, like, I don't know, snap your fingers or blink your eyes, how many times can you blink your eyes in one second? What do you think? Two? Oh, yes. One, or two. one second. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe one twice, second. three times, right? A hummingbird can flap its wings up to 70 times per second. That's, that's insane. Yeah. Think of all well, that. That's, that's a very high metabolism. Okay. So I don't want to get personal, too personal with you. I don't want to ask you personal questions. So I'll talk about myself. I'm 182, and I'm right around 70 kilos. So if I was a hummingbird, I would need to eat approximately between 35 and 70 kilos per day. That's what a hummingbird does. It eats anywhere between 50 and 100% of its own body mass in food every single day. Think about how much food that is. If you're 50 kilos, you'd have to eat 25 to 50 kilos of food a day. You probably, you probably don't do that. You probably eat two or three kilos a day, maybe five at the most. Probably not yeah. 25 to 50. It's crazy. Now, guess which bird has the shortest lifespan? Well, the hummingbird. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. The faster the metabolism, the faster we're working the machinery of the body, the faster we age and die. If you think about animals that have a slow metabolism, like a tortoise or a sloth. Oh, yeah. And these are animals that move slowly. But think about a macaw. These giant parrots, they can live to over 100 years. Okay, they live longer than most people do. So they have a slow metabolism where the hummingbird has a very short lifespan, no more than two years, if I remember correctly, most of them. Okay, the big parrots can live 100. Well, what we want to do is we, we don't want to restrict our caloric intake, but we want to allow our bodies to become efficient 
by eating as close to optimally as possible and by getting the body clean. Because when we do those two things, when we put the perfect food for our body into a perfectly working body, we need less of it because we're getting everything that the food would provide to us. We're able to get almost all of it. Whereas when the average person in a typically toxic dehydrated body eats a typical processed, you know, typical standard kind of a diet, they're putting low quality food into a poorly functioning body and they need a lot more food just to get what they need from it. Does this make sense? It does. It, it's like I'm feeling this sense of connection here. Is this connecting the dots of, of what the body needs uh, as opposed to what we've just going back to what we spoke about earlier about how the body can get used to those bad habits and then we're just completely right. disconnected from it. Exactly, exactly. So That's what you're what speaking about here, yeah, when we're reaching our highest potential as human beings, when we're living optimally, we're really connected to the body's, and you spoke about this too, to the body's natural intelligence. Exactly. As opposed to what we think or what we perhaps have been miseducated uh, about. We have. We've been so miseducated. Yeah. I mean, in, in fact, you know, here's a piece. I have, I'm working with a woman now for the second time, second fast with She fast with me last year. And today she said, I was really hungry yesterday afternoon. I said, really, what did it feel like? And she kind of smiled and giggled. And she said, I know. I know it's not really hunger. Because we get sensations in the, in the tummy, yeah. right? Gurgling and noise. And, and some people, you know, feel tired and weak and, and hangry and all these symptoms that people think means their body needs food. It doesn't mean those things. Mm. What those symptoms mean is that the body's detoxifying. And that happens when you don't eat because processing food takes so much energy. And this is why people feel bad if they skip a meal. In fact, I've been saying for 30 years, the harder it is to skip a meal, the more meals you probably need to skip. Because if it's difficult to skip a meal, that's because your body's detoxing. When your body's clean, I'm sure you've had times where you've been so busy, there's been so much going on, maybe you didn't get a chance to eat when you normally would, you still feel perfectly fine. That's what happens. You know, I actually enjoy feeling empty. I enjoy, I actually function yeah, better. Exactly. So when I've got something important to do, like, for example, before doing this recording, I don't eat. I haven't, not thought, thinking about it right now, but I haven't had any food today. Well, it's early mornings, relatively morning, but I just intentionally do that because it just, I feel better when I'm on an right. empty stomach. I feel like exactly. I function better. We do naturally. function better. I mean, yeah, that's absolutely true. Now, of course, you know, again, I mean, I say we do, you know, it's interesting. There was a study back when I was a kid. I don't know how much study they did, but they, they claimed, I think they did study this, that the children who didn't eat breakfast in, you know, typical children in America that didn't eat breakfast didn't perform as well at school. And so poorer children that maybe didn't have anything to eat were at a disadvantage. And they started offering, because there was always a school lunch program, but they started feeding children in the mornings as well in some school systems. And I thought about that and thought, well, that makes sense given the way most people eat. I mean, the average American child today, you know, eats pizza five times a week and fried chicken three times a week and soda 14 times a week and et cetera, et cetera. So if you had a typical meal last night in the morning, if you skip breakfast, your body is detoxifying while you're awake. Most people aren't going to think very well. If they eat something heavy enough, they can slow down the detox process and now they can function better. But when your system's clean, it's not an issue. And so 
I mean, for me, it's now uh, almost 6 p.m. and I have had a meal already. I had breakfast at almost three o'clock in the afternoon a few hours ago. <laughs> That's my breakfast. Prior to having breakfast, I'd spoken today to a dozen clients. I responded to a bunch of emails. I worked out. You know, I, did, I gave a lecture. I did all these things perfectly fine, tons of energy without ever eating anything. Because remember, we're running on microelectric current and there's mm. plenty of it. I still have plenty of energy even if I haven't eaten anything today. So the reason people feel bad when they don't eat, it's not because they need the food, it's because they're detoxing. That's what happens mm. when the body's clean, skipping a meal is literally no big deal at all. It's like nothing. You don't eat, I mean, it's like nothing at all. You just keep on doing whatever you're doing, you're perfectly fine. Just quickly, what was breakfast for you today? What was that meal at 3 p.m.? What did you have? The only thing I've had today since uh, I had dinner last night at around 6 p.m. So in the last 24 hours, the only thing I've had is one small watermelon. Wow. (laughs) Wow. And that's it. I mean, and what I'll do, you know, tonight, maybe I'll have a simple salad for dinner. It'll be lettuce and tomatoes and cucumbers. And the only real calories will come from one avocado. I mean, cucumbers, tomatoes, and lettuce don't have many calories. Do you use any oils or vinegars or salts or anything like that? Because I, I know that when I'm fasting or I'm, I do sometimes crave salt, I yeah. wondered what that might be about. So, yeah, how, where does that fit in the picture? Well, in a survey of 2019 nutrition studies from around the world, the number one nutrition-related cause of death was the excessive consumption of salt. Salt is toxic to us. We need sodium. And we need chloride. They're both ions that the body needs. But sodium chloride is, is a crystal. It's an inorganic mineral. And what we need to do is we need to eat foods grown in real soil with real nutrients in them so that we get some sodium, we get some chloride, we get some iron, we get some magnesium. All We get all that stuff from eating our food in, because when it's part of, the, let's say, a lettuce leaf or a tomato or whatever it is, that's an organic version of it not inorganic as you know inorganic means metallic forms i mean if you think about this here i've got i've got some change here the costa rican coins are mostly all the same color but you know, imagine you had a pocket of change you might have some copper and some zinc and some iron and so all these different minerals well we need all those things Should we just grind them up and sprinkle them on a salad doesn't work very well because they're inorganic when they're in the soil though With the help of bacteria, the plant can convert those inorganic minerals into organic plant tissue. And that's how we're intended to get our nutrients, even carnivores. Even the carnivores in nature, you know, real carnivores, not people they meet, but cats and, you know, other animals that are are obligate carnivores have to eat meat to survive. I mean, I hope it's clear to people listening that there are so many studies now that show that eating meat means higher rates of diseases, faster death aging, et cetera, et cetera. This, you know, in fact, excess protein. I mean, I don't know about you. I grew up in the U.S. being told we have to make sure we get enough protein. We need tiny amounts of protein, which is why I can stay strong and fit. I'm lean, but I'm strong and fit eating watermelon and papaya. That's why I get most of my protein. Mm-hmm. So we need those minerals, but we don't need them in the inorganic form. Now, the exception, and you mentioned earlier, you said you were talking about drinking spring water. I drink spring water too, and it's all I recommend. If you can get spring water, that's what you should be drinking. Now, obviously, not all spring water is equal. We have polluted much of the planet. So you want to be sure that the spring water you're drinking is clean enough. And here, about every 
three months or so, three or four months, one of my staff members will come in at five o'clock in the morning, take a couple of samples in sterile sample cups that we buy from a pharmacy, little plastic cups for you know, urine and stool samples that are sterile, and he'll take water samples, put them in a cooler full of ice, drive them to the bottom of the mountain to meet a six o'clock in the morning bus that's going to the capital because that's where the closest laboratory is where we can get this analyzed. And we have it analyzed just to make sure that it's, it's, you know, it continues to be clean and safe for us to drink. Um, it tastes amazing and it feels great, but we want, it to, we want to test it to be sure. So with the spring water, we are getting some inorganic minerals, but that's different. We need those, but not because the body uses them as nutrients. We get our nutrients from our food, from our plant foods, all nutrients from our plant foods. We need the minerals to be in the water because water without minerals doesn't conduct electricity. Now, I don't, someone might be thinking, well, but you put distilled water, you used to put distilled water in a car battery. That's true. But the only reason it works is because there's lead plates in there. It's mm-hmm. called a lead acid battery. Without the lead, without the ion exchange from the lead, there'd be no current flowing. Mm-hmm. Distilled water won't conduct electricity. So we need to have these inorganic minerals in there. And, you know, it's funny because there are all these people who talk about all the benefits of distilled water and say how it's harmful to us. I mean, what are the other 25 million species on the planet to all the other animals? What are they drinking? They're drinking nature's perfect stream water and spring water, etc. On that one too, Lauren, our body is made up of 72 to 73% water. And surely that is also, that is the structured water that you describe. And so that relationship exactly. itself. Yeah, in that's right. Spring. Yeah, exactly. You spoke- we, need, we need that perfect water. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. Mm just staying hydrated and staying young. <laughs> mm. yeah. There is a, another thing you mentioned earlier. We were talking earlier on about separating ourselves from our conditioning and habits and what we think we need as right. opposed to what the body says it needs. So there's this relationship between consciousness and this connection between knowing what our body needs and what we think we need. There's a relationship between consciousness and fasting. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because this is where yeah, really high intelligence comes. Absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing what happens. You know, in fact, I mean, you had asked earlier, we never really got all the way through it because there's so much. But, you know, what happens mm. in the brain? What happens in the brain is we shift neurochemicals. So we know that after only about three days of fasting, anxiety disappears as the specific neurochemicals flood the brain and we feel better. Now, I mean, some people might be in pain, but typically depression, anxiety, those kinds of emotions tend to begin to dissipate significantly, right? I think there's also a significant piece that as the body gets cleaner, we don't have these negative toxic substances in the body. We're going to feel better. We're going to feel lighter. We're going to feel happier. So there's no question there's a, there's a connection between consciousness and fasting, but it's less automatic, With the physical body, if someone's willing to do what they need to do, which means rest and sip enough water, they're going to get the physical benefits. We're going to maximize physical benefits by simply doing those two things. In terms of the emotional and spiritual benefits, you know, the shift in consciousness, I believe it requires a willingness to do something most people aren't really willing to do, and that's to be with your emotions. Most people spend their whole life trying to avoid feeling certain things. And I believe in a wealthy country like Australia or the US or most of the countries in Western Europe, 
this is the reason why people eat as much as they do. They're attempting, subconsciously attempting to suppress their emotions. That's what's going on. So I want to ask you how, what's happening in Costa Rica? What's happening at the center? Are you still doing Skype one-on-one sessions? So if you want to share a little bit about your offerings, how people, it's pretty easy to get in touch with you through the tanglewoodwellnesscenter.com. It is, yeah. Yeah, sure, I'd be glad to. I do work with people via Skype. Most of my work on Skype now has transitioned. So I started out doing all one-on-one calls, 30-minute calls every day. We've gone to a new program where the calls are an hour long, but it's a group. And it's actually still in transition. This is what we're doing so far, where we've had, lately I've kept it to four people. We used to do five. It's actually going to transition to six. But what we're going to do, because we're going to take away some time for questions and answers, is I'm going to do a a private live call for Q&A once a week in English and once a week in Spanish. I, I work with people in both languages. So I've got groups in in both. Yeah. And we're we're doing a lot of that. I mean, right now I'm spending many hours a day on Skype calls with with groups of clients since people can't get here. That's great. We've got a lot of cool things coming up. We're in the process of developing an online nutrition and health course. Because I have people ask me all the time for more information. How can I learn everything? This is how you're going to be able to learn everything. I have a program now called the Creating Perfect Health System, which has a ton of information It's unconditionally guaranteed, but we're going to go well beyond that with the course. And the course, in fact, will be two parts, one for the consumer and the second part for that person that wants to become a health coach. And that hopefully will be online within about two months. We're also actually transitioning the Skype coaching program. I have one of your neighbors, a woman from New Zealand, working with me on this. And what we're doing is instead of just the call with me each day, they're going to get an email from me each day, depending on where they are in their process. So if I've got a group of five or six people, each person might be getting a different message from me that day. But they're going to get an email with a recorded video. And then we'll still, again, we'll still have the live call. So hopefully they're going to be getting even more value, even more information than we're able to give them now. I mentioned a book I'm working on. I haven't yeah. spent so much time working on that lately. Actually, I have a second book. Second which, book. Well, the second book is a children's book okay. written completely in rhyme. I just approved the, fi- the, the latest drawings. So I have an artist working on it. It's going to be fully illustrated. And that hopefully will be done within the next few months or so. We'll see about that. And, of course, the really big project, which I think you and I chatted a little bit about. Yes, uh, the Eco Village. That's, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, well, and the eco-village, I mean, it's, it's so much more than that. It's, it's starting out, I mean, the biggest piece of it is a nature preserve. Yeah. As I'm sure you're aware, we are in the midst of the sixth max, mass extinction on the planet. Yeah. We are losing a ton of species. And there, there's a concerned group of scientists who believe that at the current rate, there will be no species left in 40 years. Including human. Well, if everything else is gone, we're in deep trouble. We need honeybees and we need, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Right? So, so yes, it's a, it's a web of life. And really in this, you know, we haven't talked about this at all, but everything I practice, as you said, it's going back to nature. And right there from Australia, I, you know, I learned permaculture from an Australian teacher. And everything we've built here is based on permaculture principles. And so we're, we're taking land and, and the idea is to preserve it permanently so it can't be built 
And I, you know, I think it's not, I don't have some crazy idea that we can preserve enough land to save the planet. That's not going to happen. There's not enough money to buy enough land to make that work. What instead I think needs to happen is to shift people's consciousness around nature and the importance of nature. And it's easy. You know, if you live in Sydney, for instance, it might be easy to forget. It's not about how nice your place is and you know, how pretty your car is. It's really for us to survive. We have to protect the planet. We have to find ways of living more gently on the planet because otherwise yes. the planet's not going to survive. Well, the planet will survive, but we'll wipe every, all the species off and then, then eventually there'll be new ones that show up. It won't be us anymore. Uh, if we want to be here, we're going to have to take better care. So we're starting with this massive nature preserve. There will be an enormous permaculture-based organic fruit farm where we hope to grow every single fruit we can grow in the tropics. We're creating a world-class botanical garden. There'll be all kinds of adventure sports from mountain biking to BMX biking to rock climbing to high adventure, what they call high adventure park, all these things happening. And then the community itself. So we're creating an intentional raw vegan community. And there'll also be an intentional vegan section for people that aren't willing to be raw yet. There'll be a, a place for people still eating cooked food. And then, of course, as we, our goal, it's, it's a big goal. The plan is to, within 10 years, create one of the top five tourist attractions in Costa Rica. It's a tiny country, but it's not so hard, perhaps. And we have something really unique here. And what makes it so unique is we have the highest waterfall in Central America on a piece of land we have a contract on to buy. So we don't own very much of the land yet. We have, I think, 17 or 18 farms currently under contract, maybe 19. But we need to raise money. We're looking for investors. And so if you're listening and you'd like to invest in something that's actually good for the planet, we'd love to hear from you. And as Jenny said, you can easily reach me by going to tanglewoodwellnesscenter.com. There's a contact us button there. You can also email me directly, info at tanglewoodwellnesscenter.com. Of course, you can look for my name, Lauren Lockman, on YouTube. I've got nearly 600 videos now, something like that. I'll pull those links down in the, in the notes page. Um, both, and I just want to say thank you for that amazing vision that you're holding and creating that taking care of, of the earth. I think many of us are waking up to that today. Yeah. And so yeah. you're really taking, really taking some wonderful action. And um, I'm just wondering if you could, I could possibly build a little house there for myself to live. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the idea. That's the idea. I mean, imagine, imagine living with like-minded people where you know, in the community itself, there'll be parking areas. We're not going to have people driving through the neighborhoods. You'll park and you'll, you'll walk so that there's less air pollution, there's less noise, and it's safer for children. That's the idea. And organic um, food. <laughs> every single thing we're doing, the entire, like, the, you know, the, here's the idea. And I'm not sure that many people sort of work this out, but there's some commercial aspects of this. And investors will see a pretty healthy return, we believe. But you, obviously, we have to pay investors a return to get them to invest their money. We can't build this without their investment. And the idea is to create this amazing place where you come to see the nature preserve. And by, I didn't mention, but in addition to the highest waterfall in Central America, we have about 15 more waterfalls. There's waterfalls all over the place. It's, it's really amazing. Yeah. So we have this spectacularly beautiful area. And we believe by marketing it properly, people will come to see the nature preserve and the waterfalls. They'll come to see to do tours of this permaculture-based 
farm where they can see all these fruits they've never seen or even heard of before, get a chance to taste whatever's in season. There'll be this incredible botanical garden. There'll be a whole range from camping sites up to high-end boutique rooms. You know, if someone has plenty of money, we want them to be comfortable. But everything we're going to do is going to be built in an environmentally sound way. All of the food, so there'll be obviously offerings for tourists, right, including different eateries. 100% organic raw vegan is the idea. We want to show people what's possible, how you can have delicious food. I mean, a third of the energy of the average meal comes in the growing of the food, and a third of it comes in the transportation, and a third of it is in the cooking and processing. We're going to have food that we grow on site, we don't transport, we don't cook or process. I mean, the processing is very simple in a kitchen, not a bunch of machines, not factories, none of that. So the idea is to attract people, get them to hang out for a while, and while they're there, help them to understand how to live on the planet more gently and why it's important. And, and yeah. then for the community, you know, the community members will have the opportunity to run a business, which caters to tourists, to There's going to be so many opportunities. That's really good. Sounds amazing. Absolutely amazing. So people can actually experience what it means to live that way, actually experience and learn from the experience. So thank you so much for what you're doing and what you've been doing for the last 30, 40 years in teaching people how to live well and how to fast well, I must say. Yeah, how to fast well. So thank you so much, Lauren, for everything you've shared. My pleasure. Real pleasure to connect with you. Real pleasure to connect with you too. Thank you for spending your precious time listening to this podcast. I really do hope that you enjoyed. You can find some helpful links related to the topics we have discussed, download some freebies and join our Lionheart community by visiting our website, lionheartworkshops.com. To view this specific podcast blog, click on podcast at the main menu. Please also share this with friends, hit subscribe and leave us a review so that these ideas can continue to spread. Those pretty little stars help others to find us. The Lionheart Podcast and Lionheart Online Workshops is an online platform and community designed to enhance your health, natural and spiritual well-being. Until next time, please think about how you will embody your Lionheart and reach your highest potential as the amazing human being that you are.